0: Some people see it as possibly a license to drive like a lunatic. But when you've got a principal on the board, just imagine you're in Knightsbridge and you are looking along past Harrods and there you've got six Range Rovers, five S classes, four seven series, half a dozen V classes. Who's going to be the security driver out of that lot? And you will never know until things go wrong and that security driver's got to flick a switch and go, hold on. I'm getting you out of here because we've got trouble.
1: Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Security, driving and the EP professional Today, we're going to be talking with Neil Davies, co-founder of Secure Ground Transportation. Uh, I'm here with Sean West. Sean, surely this is a topic that everybody knows about. Uh, Why do we need to do a session on uh, protective mobility?
2: You would think everyone knows about this, but that's not always the case. I mean, security driving, it's, it's more than just being able to drive a vehicle and having a security background. You know, it requires skill and knowledge to be able to move the principal from A to B in a safe and secure manner. And that's across many environments as well. There's all sorts that can go into that, you know, route selection, hazard awareness, control of high-power vehicles. And you've also got the principal in the car. So you've got the pressure of the principal being in the car. If an incident happens or if there's an accident in front, there's lots of things you're taking in. And by having a good security trained driver on the team, It allows the rest of the team to do their jobs correctly as well, because they know you're focusing on the vehicle and getting that vehicle from point A to B safely.
1: Absolutely. Because, I mean, all right, maybe not everyone can afford the luxury if it is a luxury. But if you are a one person team, you cannot go and park the car up and then go find the principal. So somebody has to be the driver the driver has to be separate to the EP team. Surely nobody simply hires a security driver and then jumps out and then the security driver comes to find them later. Surely everybody who's minded to employ some security will have an EP professional and a driver.
2: Um, No, I think that's not always the case. A lot of it comes down to budgets and, and threat profiles of who the principal is. You know, some of them may want to be low key and they just want a driver to get them from point A to point B safely and securely. Um, where if you're an individual who's has a lot of time in the public eye, your security would be uplifted. You know, maybe you have a security driver or a driver and security. Each task is unique and yeah, 90 99% of the time it will come down to budget.
1: Okay. And then why is everyone not driving around? in a B6, B7 armoured vehicle. Surely that's a surefire way of being more secure, um, or is this country-specific?
2: I think it is country-specific, and also there's, for instance, if you're driving around in the UK, if there's no high threat on your principle, then why would you need an armoured vehicle? Having some form of, you know, big vehicle, that like gives you presence on the road, see a Range Rover, for instance, you know, you're nice and secure in the cab, Ideally, you know, there's, there's no carriage of firearms in the UK legally, um, whereas if you are flying out, if you are working out into, say Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, there'd be a lot more requirement for having an armoured type vehicle for transporting principles, depending on how you're operating, whether you're operating high profile or you're going more covert in your field of operations. I guess each, same again, each situation client is unique in its rec- different requirements.
1: And that would, that would basically resonate with a lot of uh, ex-service personnel because, you know, if you do go up to a sensitive situation in some sort of MRAP, uh, you're going to get a different response from if you went in a soft top very carefully or maybe you even took a, a local taxi. It depends on how you want to blend in or how you don't want to blend in.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and the maneuverability of an armored vehicle is not... The same as a vehicle that is not an armored vehicle. Um, so, like I say, I think for each job task that's out there, I guess at the start of the task there will be some sort of you know threat assessment, and there'll be a decision made by whoever that is, the director of security, whoever's holding the purse strings on w- what the requirements are to provide the best security um, to that principle.
1: And our you know Circuit Magazine audience is probably thinking, yeah, I know all this because I deal with security drivers um you know every day and yet it's often not where we would like it to be so we've got uh, the glasgow summit finishing up uh this week next week we've got lots of interesting things coming up and interesting assignments why should we be getting our community to pay more attention to the value of a bona fide security driver in in place of an ep professional thinking that they'll wing it
2: think there's a lot of value in if, if you're making a transition from your your day job as a cpo or executive protection professional i've always been of the mindset whichever whatever i'm working on i will throw myself fully into that role you know i'll develop myself i'll carry out training i'll learn everything that i can to deliver that role to the best of my ability and with you know as i was saying every individual is very different if you're in a job and you know, you're getting paid every month, every week, whatever it may be. Some people are happy with that. They come to work at nine o'clock, they go home at five, and then they switch off where you'll have individuals that their profession is also a passion, you know, and you want to excel in what you do. And I think if you are an executive protection professional, by throwing your, if, you, if you're looking to transition into being a security driver, there's, there's lots of training out there. And if you carry out that training and, you know, you set yourself above everybody else, you're going to put yourself in a lot better position moving forwards you know, to get on one of these teams as a security driver, because you'll have a lot more qualifications and, you know, if if you get taken out for a trial run in the vehicle, you'll have that inbred, in-depth knowledge which you can talk about and demonstrate.
1: It will. And let's then hear from uh, Neil Davis himself, uh, obviously a long-standing friend of us and the industry. And someone that has, in fact, also spoken on our Protective Mobility Forum that we ran earlier this year. Very much looking forward to this. Neil Davis, Secure Ground Transportation. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit Magazine. Looking under the hood of protected mobility, we're here with Neil Davis, co-founder of Secure Ground Transportation. Uh, Sean West and myself, we're very pleased to have you on. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. Well, especially, uh, you know, the topic of vehicles, mobility, protecting the principle. It seems core to everyone's day job in the EP world, but... What would you say is the the sort of problem at the moment with protective mobility that perhaps you're you're trying to solve?
0: So there's there's two points here. There's there's one, the principal who wants EP, but however, doesn't see the need to do it properly in the protective world's role or through their eyes. And by that, I mean, you know, you can do one job at a time. I know we all multitask, you know, we're juggling balls. However, when it comes to, to, to protecting people, you know, you're either EP, out on foot, once you debust the vehicle, or you're, or you're a driver, you're a security driver. And the two roles you can't do together. So trying to get that across to a principle that, you know, like, I want security. Okay, you can have your security and you need a, need a security driver. So, so, that's that's the one thing. The principal doesn't always see that there is a, a different role to be played by both both people. The other one is people in the security industry actually who try to do it as one person. And and to my mind, I think they're letting they're letting the team down because what we should be doing is we should be educating the principal on how to reduce the risk as much as humanly possible. And if you're not doing that, then you're missing a trick and you're actually leaving yourself wide open. So just take the scenario. You know, there are a number of places in London that are a red route and the principal sees something and they want to get out. And it's happened. They want to get out the vehicle now. Well, by the time you go and park up, you know, you stop in traffic, they fling the door open, they're gone. By the time you parked up, and try to find the, the principle. The damage could have already been done.
1: That's a stark picture, and actually, that root example—that's—that's—that's that's, that's probably quite uh, common, unfortunately. But let's take a step back. Um, obviously, you, you know, you—you're a great friend of the industry and uh, the association, and uh, you know, the magazine, of course. But you, in particular, where does your passion for this topic uh, actually come from?
0: So, take me back. Take me back quite a number of years. I've been a member of the Institute of Advanced Advance now for 23 years. I was very fortunate enough to be honoured by Her Majesty the Queen for services to education, not to the security industry. So I was the national chairman of school governors or for people who might be listening from America. I was the national chairman of school boards. And while I was doing that, I was invited by Vladimir Putin to go out and advise his ministerial team out in Russia on introducing school boards to Russia and it opened my eyes up to the way that things worked because he provided me with um, a security driver and a bodyguard because I was his guest he didn't want anything to happen to me or he wanted to keep an eye on what I was doing one or the other Um, and I saw a different side to the industry and and to what was going on and then when I looked around at, at what was happening in the UK with regards to you know muggings and crime, et cetera, et cetera. I just saw that there was a need for, you know, the industry, especially the chauffeur industry, to up their game. Not everybody wants to do it. That's fine because it means there's more work for us. But it just allowed me to explore the different avenues and then go out and get the training that we've got.
1: That is quite a unique you know backstory, but I but I but I'm really glad you share that with us because that really brings to light. You've been on both sides of the fence, which, which is really key. But as always, we, we have our third quickfire question, which is, you know, what would you like the people that know absolutely nothing about secure ground prote- transportation or protective mobility to better know? And I'm going to include in that group the people that think they know, but don't. So uh, the
0: first thing I would say, you know, we're in the age of social media where lots of stuff gets bandied about. You know, the term security driver and security driving, that's not a marketing buzzword. That is a statement of training. And if we can get that across to people, then I think, you know, we're, we're halfway to winning the battle. Because the training, I mean, I underwent uh, a week's intensive residential course training in the UK trained by a a sergeant who was a special escort group, trainer, um, and he was also a sergeant in charge of a team. There were two sergeants that trained us. So, you know, that's on the driving side. But then on the other side of things, you know, all of our security chauffeurs, security drivers, we're all first aid trained. Carry a full trauma kit in the car, um, carry an AED in the car, and we know how to use them. There's a lot of people out there who've got kit that don't don't know how to use it properly, don't go on refreshers, so you know it, it, I think it's about as as the buzzword is leveling up, bringing the standard up in the industry and getting that out across to people that you know when you employ a professional security driver or a professional executive protection person, male or female you've got somebody that actually has gone through the training and, you know, does what it says on the tin.
2: So, Neil, going back, obviously we've just come out of a pandemic, how do you find in the last sort of 18 months, two years, how has protective mobility evolved and and what vehicles are becoming more popular, do you find?
0: Um, Oh, vehicles? Oh, no, there's a a good question. So, um, over the last 18 months, uh, you know, a lot of our a lot of our uh, work is inbound from the States um, as well as Japan um, and Europe obviously there was very little travel internationally uh, as we know there was some um, and uh, you know we handled it uh, and now we are like I would say we're not 95% back to where we were we're 110% back to where we were we seem to be flat out all the time at the moment so it, it was good because it gave us time to reflect. It t- gave me time to get fitter. You know, I've been out. I've lost fifteen kilos. Um, I'm I'm happy with that. Um, it t- gave us time to look at the business and how we could develop it and move it forward. Perhaps uh, we just had a revamp of the website that tells people more than the old one did. Um, we've got training courses planned, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When you look at vehicles. Um, A lot of people like to be in an S class Mm -hmm. because of the comfort. Mercedes-Benz were doing a reasonable job with regards to leasing vehicles. Um, They've just upped. There's no discount on new vehicles anymore. You know, there's this huge global shortage of chips, so the the pool of brand new vehicles is smaller and smaller. The second hand market has gone through the roof. You know, people are getting more now than they. Paid for a car in sort of twenty twenty. Popular vehicles for our type of work tend to be Range Rover, um, S class, or a V class, depending on how many people you've got in a follow vehicle. You know, if you've got one person in with the principal, then it's either an S or a or a Range Rover, Um, and then your backup vehicle with perhaps another two or three. Um, protection guys in it, or, or girls, ladies or gentlemen, um, might be a V-class. for Purely and simply for one
2: reason, getting
0: in and out quickly. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, no, it's pretty similar to my main fleet that we use at the moment. S-class for the principal, or back. when the main principal comes in. We have the back and range Rovers, and we have the Vianos for all of the hangers on the wider team of the principle of the inner circle yeah so you're talking armored vehicles um why would you consider an armored vehicle preferable to something less conspicuous at the moment what benefits do we have for armored vehicles in the uk
0: i wouldn't consider an armored vehicle there's no need for it in the uk no need for it at all you know we all know everybody listening knows the only people that are legally allowed to carry firearms in the united kingdom are the police and the military you get um for want of a better word, wrongans who might get themselves involved with firearms, but that is normally gang related crime um, and it's nothing to do with looking after the principles that, that we transport. So, armor plated, very few and far between. There are some around in the UK. Um, we tend not to have a request for them. And, you know, when we do,
2: we go about our network to see if, if there's availability. So I always find it interesting you know, when we look at the SIA in the UK and they have all the different licences for different professions, the close protection licence, the door supervisor licence. But a security trained driver, there's no almost formalised credentials or qualification. It could be anyone who comes from ex-military background, they drive a car, and then it's almost you can fly the flag and say, I'm a security driver. You know, I don't think there's a lot of education, or the principals aren't educated to what a real security driver is the benefits of and you know what they bring to the table um but but talking of the security drivers where do you think the next generation of security drivers should be sourced from and and what makes a quality driver as part of an executive protection team
0: quality drivers aren't born they're made pure and simple you know you it's repetition 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 you know you, you you need to Drivers you work so that what do I mean by that? Well, the training that you do needs to be replicated as close as possible to the way that you work. However, you need some tools in your in your toolkit, and if you need to get out of trouble, you can. Yeah. Um, next generation. It, it really depends. I think you know that's a tricky one, Sean, because some people see it as improving their driving skills um, by taking a a formally recognized course leading to a qualification. Um, Some people see it as um, possibly a license to drive like a lunatic. But when you've got a principal on the board, just imagine, just imagine you're in Knightsbridge and you are looking along past Harrods and there you've got six Range Rovers five s classes four seven series half a dozen v classes who's going to be the security driver out of that lot and you will never know until things go wrong and that security driver's got to flick a switch and go hold on i'm getting you out of here because we've got trouble mm-hmm. so you know quiet efficiency is the hallmark of a true professional when it comes to to ep driving or any other industry you know you just go about your business quietly don't draw attention to yourself just do your job and and keep everything under control and there are some people out there that do that really really well but there are some people in the driving world that think that because they come from a certain background they can do it and they can't because they haven't practiced, they, they don't go on refreshers. They haven't practiced it for ages. They might get into a vehicle that they're not familiar with. You know, they don't, they don't know where all the controls are. Classic example, I was asked to train somebody who is the chauffeur to the managing director of a large company. So I was asked if I could go and train this guy. Um, been, in, been a chauffeur for 35 years. So I thought, okay, fair enough, it should be all right. Didn't want to learn. Put him into a vehicle he wasn't familiar with, um, let him get on with things. He set the seat up, but then when it came to, I don't know, 40 minutes into the into the journey, um, giving him instruction and explaining to him what I expected to, to learn, him to learn and what I was going to teach him, he was asking me where the controls were. So, you know, you can't have a security driver jumping into a vehicle that they're not familiar with. And sadly, I see it happen all too often. People will go and hire a car from Avis Hertz, you know, somebody who's SIA badged, and jump in a vehicle, haven't driven it for a year, it's a new model, don't know where the controls are, don't get shown where the controls are. And then when things go wrong and they haven't driven that vehicle, they don't know how how it's controlled, they don't know how it reacts under stress, under severe braking, under maneuvers, that's when things go wrong and you can't afford in our industry to have that happen because you lose your reputation, you lose your business.
2: No, you're totally right. I mean, if you're employed as a security driver, you need to know your vehicle inside out. And of course, you know, you may be asked to change vehicle, but you should have a knowledge of high powered vehicles. You know how to control them safely and get your principal from A to B in a safe and secure manner. And you're right what you're saying as well, you know, when we were talking about what makes a quality driver, we've talked about before a different podcast, you know, skill feed, unless you're carrying out and doing refresher training in that area, there's a lot of skill feed involved in that capacity. And so you do, you need to continually refresh your skills and, you know, be all over your vehicle. But anyway, with vehicles now, you've, you've seen lots of talk of um, self driving cars. I think there's any place for that. What, what's your thoughts on them and their limitations? of the self-driving vehicles?
0: Uh, I, the, the, the first self-driving vehicle I saw was out in San Francisco when uh, I was out there meeting a client last year. Uh, yeah, last beginning last year. Um, I looked at it and thought it was a spaceship on wheels. <laughs> you know, all these, ev- every corner had these gadgets on it. Every bumper had the gadgets on it. And I looked at it and thought, who the heck would want to pull up outside the Dorchester in one of them? You know, it's like, look at me. Um, I don't think, I don't think we're going to get rid of them mm-hmm. because, you know, the three of us on this podcast are of a certain generation. Um, but the youngsters of today are all about tech. And the latest gizmo and gadget, you know, a classic example of that is, you know, look how many times an iPhone comes out and look how many they sell. Are you telling me that from the last one to this one, there are that many people that haven't got an iPhone that go out and buy them in their millions? No, they want the latest. So I think the younger generation will want the the Teslas and, the, you know, the, the, battery-powered cars that perhaps won't get you up to Glasgow um, and they're quite happy to stop. Um, and I think that generation as well will be equally as happy to be in a self-driving vehicle. Somebody like myself doing the job that we're doing? No, not at all. Not at all. Need to be in full control of the vehicle.
1: And, and Neil, maybe that's, that's what the, uh, the word on the street has been that maybe you won't be in full control and it doesn't have to be a futuristic self-driving vehicle even if we allowed them on smart motorways. Um, What about vehicles that at the moment have collision avoidance systems? What about vehicles that at the moment can take your control away from you? Um, You know, you, you say that in the UK we don't have too much call for armored vehicles, B6, B7 or something like that, right? But, and this fanciful example was given to me uh, by some Americans, admittedly Americans, it's a bit of an environment. Um, what if you stood in front of a Tesla and behind a Tesla, the Tesla will be immobilized? Uh, it won't go anywhere. And if you had uh, some firearm and, and, and you had intent, then maybe a problem could ensue. Um, w- what are your thoughts there? Because there's a big difference between a fully spaceship Uh, self-driving vehicle and 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 one that can take control away from you Uh, it, it goes
0: back to the stuff that joe talked about when um when he was on um the last time that we were talking um and that is you know being able to switch stuff off you know it's great having these vehicles that do everything for you however in our industry you need to be able to limit what it does because the example you give is the best example I've heard of. Somebody stands in front, somebody stands behind. Where are you going to go? Because the car's not going to move. You know. And all of a sudden, you've got, you've got a dead security driver and you've got a dead principal, or at least the dead principal, if that's what they're after. So you need to have, have the choice, the option, to turn these facilities off. Um and on some vehicles, I think on the ODA eight you can do it. I haven't driven an ODA eight for ages, but I think you could turn there was there was like a collision avoidance thing. Um, and you could turn that off um if you if you needed to. Whether that's the case now or not, I do not know because I haven't driven one for a number of years.
1: And and then maybe following on from that, you know, some some people have said, well, privacy is a really key consideration. And with the private jets they, they they quickly cottoned on to turning off the call sign on that very popular website that everyone you know watches planes go in and out you know limiting information um are we at all worried about the on march of telematics and the on march of data in the vehicle because um principles are, are are very sensitive to uh, uh, industrial espionage right uh, how 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 attuned or worried should the driving community be?
0: Well, first things first. When when somebody gets into a vehicle and they plug their 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 phone in to the USB to charge it, the one thing you don't do is download your contact details. Period. You don't you don't allow the vehicle access because as soon as you do, um, and and you you hand that vehicle over to somebody else, they've got your address book. Simple, you know. How many people jump into a hired vehicle or any other vehicle, plug their phone in, need the contacts, bosh, and they're all
1: in the vehicle? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be uh, high-end industrial espionage, does it? It can just. It can just no, be a sink.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't think we've got to this stage in the UK where you know we have um, signal jammers and blockers and stuff like that. Um, we've moved as a company, we've moved some very out. Uh, everybody says, you know, oh, I've got high net worth. I'm talking ultra high net worth, ultra, ultra high net worth. They've never asked for signal jammers, blockers, or anything of the sort. Um, but they do it properly. Um, and, you know, a, a team will arrive and you're with them for a day or two beforehand and you go out and you do your recce properly. That's the way it should be done. Not somebody lands in a jet, I need a security driver and I need, I need protection and we're, I'm not telling you where I'm going until I land and I get in the vehicle and then I want to go here. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute. We haven't been down that road for the last three weeks. I wonder if there's any road works. Well, we'll soon find out because they've not given you the details. And there are some people out there that value their privacy so much that that's their, their way of, of working. They tell you when they get in the vehicle. They don't understand our role. It goes back to the, the top of this, this podcast. You know, people understanding what we do um, as security drivers and what we do as a security
1: industry what should people be aware of coming up obviously there are some big events uh, at the moment we've got the glasgow summit uh, going on and um, what big events particularly in the uk just because i suppose you know you 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 can speak to that where perhaps we're going to really feel the pinch if we don't have a security driver
0: well it, it depends on you know what line of work you're in um Any businessman coming in for a large conference where uh, whether they're an an attendee or a a, a keynote speaker, um, they would need um, somebody that perhaps has got a business that upsets friends of the earth or animal lovers, etc. They would need any face from. The uh, film and, and stage, you know, film and screen, that perhaps is going to go into an area where they could get mobbed. Not only would they need a security driver to safely set them down somewhere, but they'd also need people with them. They'd need executive protection as part of a team. And some people, you know, some people don't want protection. They they want a security driver who knows what to do with this vehicle, how to get out of trouble, how to drive safely, smoothly and swiftly to the conditions and the speed limits, who will then set them down quietly where they need to go to, park up and just blend in with other chauffeurs.
1: And then on that, that, that blending in, that seems like a skill set and one that perhaps people you know, doing covert surveillance, covert operations would be familiar with. But in the same in the same sort of thing, what if you're an EP uh, professional out there thinking, you know what, I want to make the jump. I want to specialize. Um, what should they do? You know, I mean, is it a common occurrence? Is the crossover common? I, I don't even know. I'm just I'm just thinking what our community might want to hear.
0: There are some people. Uh, I'll give an example. OK, uh, on the training course I did, there was somebody that was um, ex-Royal Protection with the Met. He, um, he spent a lot of time with the Majesty um, and was up in Balmoral a lot uh, as part of the team up there. Um, and he wanted to do the, the security driving course. And now you would have thought, hang on a minute, if we got some, we've got somebody here from Royal Protection, that's his job. And he's learning how to handle a vehicle under pressure. So, you know, there are people out there that are involved in in the security world that recognize that what we do is a totally different skill set to what they do, whether it be covert or overt security. Um, Another one uh, that was on the course with us, um, ex-military, army chap. Um, he did the driving course with us. Bumped into him in Winchester a little while back. Um, he was working for a private household. They wouldn't. They wouldn't um, work the way that they were supposed to. They were asking him to take shortcuts, which was endangering the principal. Which then would have ended up with him being in hot water because. He was with a, a team that had uh, diplomatic immunity and they were going through red lights, they were breaking speed limits and going through cameras. He said, look, I've got a driving license, I need to protect it, otherwise I can't work. Um, uh, but, you know, so there's somebody who was already from a security background training to come across to our side. Doesn't happen all the time,
2: but it does happen from time to time. Going back to Pelham's question, I think. I think, I find there, there is a lot of people that switch over to the security driver side. It, it tends to be people who are getting on in their career. I find they were getting a little bit older. They were thinking they'd want to be out on the ground, being at BG, working all hours. And they kind of you know, moved into an RST type role. But security driving, is, a, I find a lot of people going into that area because they'll have gained a lot of experience over the years carrying out their job. Soon.
0: Just, a, just a quick question there, Sean. They transition across. Do they go through any formal training?
2: I Yeah, I do find some people do look to do training, but you also, as I mentioned earlier on, there's no licensing, there's no prerequisites. And you find a lot of people who are, it may be ex-military, or it may be people who've worked in the security industry for 10, 15, 20 years, and they now want to drive. And then all of a sudden they have the hat, I'm a security driver. Mm-hmm. And they may not, not have done any additional training. Um, but that's... That, that's I guess the danger and where we're at at the moment there is no licensing but I think it all depends on the individual you know you get people who are hugely professional and want to excel in everything they do you know so they'll continuously develop themselves in the area that they're working and you'll, you'll find people who you know they get a job and they're happy because they're getting the bills and they don't want to invest in themselves you'll just you know take their money and carry out their role and I think it's each to their own, and it's specific to each individual, I guess.
1: Which is perhaps the point of this podcast, because each individual in the EP community could be a medic, could be uh, a paramedic. Obviously, um, we had some comments, of course, that there is a massive difference. It um, we, we could be a driver. It could be a security driver each to their own, but inside this broad uh, collection, we seek to uh, to enlighten the Circuit Magazine uh, community. Neil, I personally look forward to seeing you very soon, in fact, in London. I know you're at uh, the CP uh, World uh, Conference. I will be there. We're exhibiting, so we're very much looking forward to seeing you. Um, and, uh, and and yes, I think this is fantastic. We're going to have to revisit it when the, the self-driving cars are a little bit further along, maybe. Um but uh, but this has been fantastic. Um, Neil uh, from Sean and myself thank you very much for being such a great guest on the Circuit Magazine podcast. Gentlemen thanks for inviting me. It was great to look under the hood. Sorry I had to I had to do it at Protected Mobility and and obviously, Neil Davis uh, spoken before at our Protective Mobility event earlier this year, but it was really nice to see him. Um, Sean, what, what what did you take away from today's session? Neil
2: was very in line with my thoughts. I agreed with everything he said. It's, you know, it, it's a serious profession. I think, and people should take it seriously. It's not anybody can drive a car, but to be a you know a security driver and call yourself a security driver. And I think, you know, you really need to be able to, maintain good control of the vehicle, have knowledge of your vehicle, and, and knowledge of your craft.
1: Indeed, that craft, and always be willing to work on it, um, because you might have been doing it 30 years, there's always something new to know, new tech, um, You know, even if part of your job is a, a bit of a concierge service, knowing the new places, the new uh, threats, the new bars, that you, it, it's always to be updated, and whether or not we have people crossing over uh, is, is, is another point and whether or not people can do it all themselves as some sort of super EP professional on their own. I know we said it was because of budget, but I think Neil said, you know, it's not desirable. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm going to see Neil at the uh, CP Worlds event uh, on Saturday, at the Victory Services Club where we, uh, as the Circuit Magazine, have a stand. So we're very much looking forward to seeing everyone there. That's Saturday, the 13th of November in London. And uh, and, and please do stop by. Uh, putting faces to the name and name to the faces will be very, very useful. What else uh, have we got coming up, Sean?
2: Oh, well, you, well, you've mentioned the CP World Conference on Saturday in the UK and London, which will be a great event, unfortunately. I'm not going to be able to attend. But we also have the workplace violence event from the Circuit magazine, which is on the 19th. Um, So I'm very much looking forward to that and the different guest speakers we have talking. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that.
1: Absolutely. So we're going to go uh, and 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 add, you know, soft power uh, speakers and hard power speakers. People that touch, um, you know, the raw emotions that you know workplace violence creates and 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 is inspired by. But for example, our friend Joe Saunders uh, is coming back to talk about managing workplace violence. Obviously, we 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 like uh, his work and the managing workplace violence. You know. Uh, podcast as well so it's really going to be a quite accessible forum it's going to be in the uk afternoon evening the u.s afternoon and then the australian early morning but not so early that it's um, impossible so it's going to be great for the community and talking about the community i don't know if uh, we saw but uh, the bba app uh, had some lively debates didn't it uh, on last week's uh, podcast topic of robotics um i was i was suggesting that maybe robotics could help relieve mundane repetitive tasks from ep colleagues um but uh, but it was good to see the debate wasn't it sure yeah
2: no it, it did spark a lively debate and i think a lot of the time the term robotics may be slightly misconstrued um i think some people may think are you suggesting robotic robots will replace an EP operator or some function thereof? Where well, I think if you're talking about technology um, and gains in technology, for sure, you know, technology can be harnessed in many different ways. It can be a force multiplier, you know, and it can take away some of their mundane tasks and make them easier and, you know, maybe more efficient. Um, so you should definitely look, you know, Keep keep abreast of the latest technology. Um, but yeah, no, it, was, it was an interesting debate for sure.
1: And then we heartily encourage the same debate uh, after today's podcast on protective mobility. Um, maybe there are strong views on uh, self-driving cars. Maybe there's some strong views on, uh, you know, uh, immobilizers and 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 things that we've touched on also with uh, joe or before um, in our protection mobility forum so please keep those comments coming we need the debate because of course we are shining one light in one area of our community there are many other leading lights and we are very keen to hear from you so please like uh, share and subscribe and you know, maybe think of one person that does not yet know about the podcast and get them to have a listen and perhaps uh, engage to grow the community. Uh, That would be a fantastic thing if you could do that just for us. From Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.